Welcome to the HPG Bible Talks podcast, where we do simple, focused reading and discussion from God's Word, the Bible. I'm Stephen. And I'm Chase. We are Bible teachers in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and we're excited to get into the Word and to share it with others. All right. Well, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, we are starting a new season, season 11. It's hard to believe that season 11 we started this thing in what 2020 yeah and right there covid hit. and it is ranging in all amounts of episodes in each season <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> there's right there's like like four or five uh, episodes in some seasons and then i think there's like 20 some odd episodes in some seasons. yeah we did acts i think that was our longest one probably so yeah but yeah so we're going to be doing a probably what will be a shorter season uh this time around we're going to be coming back to philippians and uh, we did an overview of philippians uh in our new testament overview season if you want to check that out but uh, we're going to be come back and doing kind of a walkthrough of this very practical very encouraging letter and just doing kind of an introduction in today's episode uh, we'll read philippians 1 1 and 2 but then we're going to be spending most of our time in the book of acts and a few other scattered passages in the new testament just getting a feel for this church who they were and paul's relationship with them this is one of the more encouraging churches of the new testament when you think about kind of some of the other issues other churches were having. And Philippi will have their issues. We'll talk about that when we get into the letter. Yeah, so this letter, as Stephen's already emphasized, there's a lot of encouraging things here, but in comparison to the rest of the New Testament letters, I mean, this one, Paul, there's really one time he'll rebuke the church, and he's really rebuking some individuals in chapter 4, two sisters. And so uh, it's just a little bit of a different flavor. And I also hope that Stephen and I, as we go through this book, can encourage you to to learn how to read some of the other New Testament letters that Paul writes. Uh, Philippians can serve as a, a kind of good starter pack to unpacking all the different things Paul says in his epistles. So, Lord willing, that, that'll be one of the goals we'll accomplish in this season. All right. So, let's read Philippians chapter 1. Um, I am reading verses 1 and 2, and from the English Standard Version. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus... To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so as often the case, Paul will send these letters as himself. He'll begin by saying who's writing it. It's funny, in our letters, we don't do that. We normally that end it. it. Dear so-and-so, love me. Yeah, exactly. And so Paul, he starts off with his name. But he also has a co-sender. This is also a very typical of Paul to say, hey, so-and-so is also kind of endorsing this is the idea. They're, they're behind some of the thoughts that are in this letter. And in this case, it's Timothy. Mm-hmm. And the church in Philippi would have been very familiar with who Timothy is. We'll emphasize that here in just a little bit. But more than anything, Paul and Timothy, those are their names, but they are servants of Christ Jesus. That's who they are. And that's really all the credentials that they need. They're servants of Christ. And if Paul has emphasized anything to any of the churches he's writing to, that's what he wants to get across, is that they're servants of Jesus. Mm-hmm, that's right. So uh, he writes to the saints who are in Philippi. Um, again, it's interesting that uh, even though he's writing to a church, he doesn't always say to the church, uh, but here just to the saints, the holy ones in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, which is just helpful to realize that the church is people. Like that, He's writing to the church, exactly. but he says... It's the God's holy people who are in Christ at this particular city. Uh, that's what it means to be a church. And so um, they're in the city of Philippi, 
And it's cool to see that he notes that they have overseers and deacons uh, there as part of the church. And um, we won't do an in-depth study on that, but um, this is a fully equipped church uh, as far as the leadership roles they have within the church. Uh, overseers being elders or shepherds or pastors, all different names for the same role. And deacons as well. This is one of the only other times we see the word uh, deacon. It's just the word for servant in the Greek, but it is translated deacon here and in First Timothy 3. And I think that's it, Yeah, if I remember correctly. And Stephen can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think this is the only time we see these two words kind of used together outside of 1 Timothy 3 when it's giving the qualifications, which is kind of mm-hmm. cool to see, you know, both of these men, roles of men working together and Paul addressing them from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we learn from this is that when Paul is writing to the Christians, the saints in Philippi, uh, this is... this congregation is doing pretty well. Um, He doesn't always send greetings to the overseers and servants at a local group, but he does here, so I think that's helpful to see. And of course, he sends grace and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So what we'll do next is we're going to kind of back up to Acts 16 and talk about uh, the background of this church. We'll talk a little bit about the second journey that Paul was on as we get into this, but a lot of Acts 16 is going to be about Paul's time in Philippi and the start of the church there. Yeah, so just a little bit of background on Philippi, um, if you would like to. If you're following along in a Bible that has maps in the back, you can go back to the second missionary journey, and it should capture kind of where this is on a map. Um, But it's on a coast in a way, and it's um, right up near Neapolis and and Phippolis and some other places we'll talk about. Modern-day Greece. In modern-day Greece. And so a uh, very busy city from everything that we understand. And some of the ancient ruins that are still there, you can look those up and, and find some fun stuff about what the city of Philippi was like. But uh, more than that, we do know what the church was like. We know the makeup of the congregation. In uh, Acts chapter 16, Paul gets to spend a good bit of time there. And really, this is the beginning of the church in Philippi. We see the origins of the church. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start in Acts 16, verse 1 through 5. Um, And it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Uh, I shall continue reading down this next little bit. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, uh, Paul, he gets into the Derby and Lystra areas. Um, would have been some areas he had been on and been to in the first preaching trip. And we're introduced to a young man named Timothy that I know we've talked about in other podcasts and different seasons before. Timothy comes from a 
split home, it would appear. His mother was a Jew, a believing Jew, so she is a Christian, but the text tells us his father was a Greek. And so it seems to be the implication is, is that Timothy's mom was a Christian, but his dad was not. And in fact, he wasn't even a Jew. He was a, he was a, a Greek. He was a Gentile. And the brethren here in this area, they just speak really highly of Timothy. And so Paul, my Bible actually, I had not noticed this, in the subtitle of chapter 16 says, Paul selects Timothy. And I just kind of like that because that's, that's what happens. Paul sees something in Timothy, and he says, I want you to come with me on this preaching trip. So it's, this is an important thing to pick up on because Timothy is one of the co-senders of the letter of Philippi. Well, before Paul even established the church there, he had Timothy with him, and he came along with him. Yeah. And uh, so Timothy is going to be with Paul in a little bit when he establishes the church in Philippi. And so by the time Paul writes Philippians and he says, hey, Paul and Timothy, I mean, Timothy's been along before Philippi was around. Exactly. So it's really helpful to see this. Um, so it's powerful to see that Paul had suffered on the first missionary journey and he was stoned and left for dead at Lystra. And Timothy may well have seen that happen. We don't know if they were around when that happened or not, but he would have certainly heard about what happened. And Paul may well still have the scars of that encounter on this journey. And now Timothy's choosing to continue with him, knowing that he may well suffer. And it turns out Paul and Silas in particular are are going to suffer really early on here. When they get to Philippi, they're going to be beaten here in a little bit. But it's just interesting to think about Timothy's role in all of this, knowing that there was suffering, there would be suffering. And Paul will write to Timothy to encourage him, endure suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So it's kind of interesting that right after Timothy joins them, there's a little bit of confusion on where to go (laughs) because they keep thinking, okay, we're going to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit says, no, don't go to Asia. And then they're going to go, oh, we'll go to Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus says, nope, don't go to Bethany. All right, we'll keep going west. And so they come to Troas. It's like the only other way they could go other than backtracking. Right, because it's like, (laughs) can't go north, can't go south. Or can't go south, can't go north. Asia would have been south, Bithynia north. And so they keep going west, and they get to Troas. And then there's some more uh, definitive direction. All right, they've got this vision, a man of Macedonia. All right, that's where we need to go. That's why the Spirit said, not this way, not that way. And so uh, now we've got some direction. So Paul and Silas were already on this journey, and now Timothy's with them. Although what's interesting is right before they leave, they pick up a fourth guy. Mm-hmm. It's very subtle. But in uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 10, it says, And when Acts had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia. Mm-hmm. So the and author of Acts places himself with the crew, and the author of Acts is Luke. Um, And we won't get into all the details of why we know that. Maybe we can do that in another episode. But Luke is now the fourth person going on this preaching trip. And so it's quite the the squad (laughs) going into Philippi. This is one of the the bigger uh, crews that Paul travels with. So they go on over to Philippi, and that gets us uh, to the city itself. Yeah, so let's go ahead and read verses 11 through 15. And I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, so... In, pre- in previous seasons, oh, man. I've been using the New American Standard Bible, but I've personally made the switch to the Christian Standard Bible. And uh, I still love the NASB, and you will likely hear me default to it <laughs> at different times. So just be patient with me as I've made this transition. So let's look at Acts 16, uh, verses 11 through 15. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight from Samothrace the next day to Neapolis. 
and from there to Philippi, a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed in that city for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. So they come from Troas, and what's interesting, you'll note this in the book of Acts, when Luke is present, there's a lot more detail about the little voyages, mm-hmm. and so you get all the little mini stops on the way, direct voyage to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and then to Philippi, yeah. whereas when Luke's not with him, it's like, and they went to Philippi, which yeah. <laughs> is kind of an interesting thing. So uh, we learned two important things about Philippi in verse 13, or verse 12, rather. Uh, one is that uh, it was a leading city in the district of Macedonia. It's not the capital. If I'm not mistaken, Thessalonica was the capital. I think that's right. But Paul does a lot of work in capital cities, and in this case, also in leading cities. Yeah, exactly. Where the people are, and the gospel can go out from places like that. So he goes to this main city, but we also learn that Philippi is a Roman yeah. colony. And that's important to pick up on for something that's going to happen a lot or here a little bit later in chapter 16, but also for the background of the book of Philippians. That's right. There would have been a lot of pride that came with being a Roman colony. We, you know, Here we are a Roman colony. We're, we are citizens of Rome whenever we're born here. And so uh, that'll be something that comes up later in Philippians, the the second chapter. Yeah. There's actually two references to it in the uh, letter to Philippi in Philippians 1.27. I missed this one for a while. It was actually the CSB that caught this. Um, There's a word that is basically the verb for to live as a citizen. Uh, The ESV says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. But the uh, CSB there says, uh, as citizens of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Um, which that is the the word for live as a citizen is mm-hmm. the word. And then in Philippians 2, the more famous one, uh, as he's writing to these Roman citizens, he'll say in Philippians uh, 2 and, um, excuse me, end of Philippians 3 is where it's at. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Yep. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, in a city where it would have been very easy for them to pride themselves on their physical Roman citizenship, he is quick to remind them, you are citizens of heaven, and that's the main citizenship you need to worry about. Now, Paul will make use of his Roman citizenship, as we'll see in just a minute, but he is first and foremost a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, and that's really important when we're tempted to kind of uh, pride ourselves or make a bigger deal out of our earthly citizenship, wherever it is that we live. Um, We need to first remember that we are citizens of heaven. That, that's the far more important identity that we need to uh, associate ourselves with. So here Paul is in this city for several days, it says at the end of verse 12. And on the Sabbath day, they go outside the city uh, outside the city gate by the river where they expect to find a place of prayer. It's really interesting as you kind of look backwards at the other missionary journeys. One of the things that Paul does whenever he enters into a city is he goes into the synagogues. That's where the Jewish people are who are already believers in Yahweh. And so what a great place to start. Well, it appears in this Roman colony that there is no synagogue. And so what we think is going on here is Paul is going out to where he can find Jewish people. 
there's some people who go out there to pray by the river. Maybe he finds that out some way. And so we're going to go out here and meet up with some Jews. And so they get out there, and there's these women there praying, one of which is this woman named Lydia. My t- translation says she's a God-fearing woman, and she's also uh, a businesswoman. She's a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira. Thyatira is over in the um, Asia area, or what we would think one, of Asia. One of the seven churches of Asia. Yeah, exactly. Um, but here she is fearing God, worshiping him, praying to him, and Paul is, I think, fascinated by her. You know, hey, th- here is this God-fearing woman, and Paul will capitalize on that. And so uh, verse 14 says that the Lord opened her, her, her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, and her and her whole household are baptized. So mm-hmm. this is the start of the church in Philippi. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting to think about this. I mean, we learn that she's a dealer of purple goods, which would have been, if my understanding is right, kind of a royal fabric, uh, an expensive fabric. Sure. And so she probably would have been well off. We see a hint of that in the fact that she invites all four of these guys who are traveling, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. All of them are invited to stay with her. And again, she has a household. Her husband is never mentioned. Um, So we don't know if she's not married, or if it's just like these would be her household servants, maybe. Uh, maybe maybe people in her business. We don't know exactly who all was in her household. But um, she's got room for four guys to stay with her, and so she prevails upon them to come and uh, stay with her. And what's going to be interesting is just keeping this at the back of your mind, Lydia is one of the, the Christians in Philippi, and Philippi is going to be one of the most generous churches Uh, among the churches we read about in the New Testament. We'll see in a little bit later in our study all the times that Paul received support from Philippi. And actually the letter of the Philippians to the Philippians is in some ways a thank you note saying thank you for the support. It would not surprise me if one of the reasons they were able to be so generous was because of the generous contributions of a certain seller of purple Mm -hmm. who worshipped there and that Lydia herself may have been behind uh, a good bit of some of the generosity among the Christians there. Again, that's speculation, but I think that's interesting just to note that there is a apparently a wealthy woman uh, who is being very generous uh, in Philippi. So after she is baptized, she asks Paul and those that are staying or that are with Paul to stay with her. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And uh, Luke says, and she persuaded us. Um, and so they're going to stay, and it sounds like work out of her house as they continue to teach and preach in Philippi and uh, just want to make a note that this is exactly what Jesus had said to his apostles that if you go into a house and they receive you stay there you know be, be there and so that's what Paul and these other men are doing and so that leads us into the next conversion so uh, Acts 16 picking up in verse 16 as we were going to the place of prayer We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owner saw that their hope of gain was gone, They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in, attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
and when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So here they're on their way to prayer. They're going to meet back up with some of these people. And there's this little slave girl who has a spirit uh, by which she was able to predict the future. And unfortunately, she has been captured. And there are these people who are just making a bunch of money off of her and off of this gift that she has. And the text tells us that she's really starting to annoy Paul. Like, Uh, In verse 17, uh, she's crying out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. And you might ask on the surface, why is Paul annoyed by that? That seems like kind of the right idea. But this is something we actually saw in the book of Mark as well. As Jesus was going around teaching and preaching, there were demons running around telling people who Jesus was, and Jesus was telling them to stop doing that. It's not exactly the best PR to have the demons telling others who you are. And so I think you see a similar thing out of Paul here. And so finally, Paul gets fed up with it, and he turns and says to the Spirit to come out of her. And it comes out right away in verse 18. And so what you would think everyone would say is, wow, that's great. Like, look at the power that he has. Maybe we should listen to what this guy is saying. In fact, they are angry. Because, of course, the owners now realize we can't make money off of her now. Her gift is gone. That's exactly right. And so... They take Paul and Silas and drag them off. Uh, I don't know exactly where Timothy and Luke would have been at this point. I don't know if they escaped or if it was just they had paired off and Timothy was with Luke that day. Yeah, and that's very possible. Um, And so they get taken and and thrown into prison um, and dragged off, and everyone's upset about this. And specifically, I want to point out what they're upset about in verse 21. It says that they're promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. You kind of hear that pride in being a Roman citizen there. You know, they're, they're doing things that us Romans don't like, and so we, we need to shut this down. And so the crowd is joining in. They're attacking them, it says in verse 22. The chief magistrate stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. And after they had severely flogged them, they threw them into jail and ordered this jailer to guard them carefully. So definitely a turn here. You, you've got a conversion but then you have persecution against Paul and Silas. Mm-hmm. And this is going to come up a little bit later um, when he goes to Thessalonica. And it's going to come up in Philippians chapter 1 where he talks about uh, the, the suffering that they saw in him. Um, and then uh, it's at the very end of Philippians 1 verse uh, 29 and 30. He'll say, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Um, So there in Philippians 1 verse 30, he makes, I think, a reference to what just happened, where they were beaten with rods publicly um, in the city of Philippi. And of course, Paul's writing the letter to the Philippians from Rome, from prison, and he recognizes, I'm still suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so they would have been well familiar with that. But what I love about this is here in prison, probably still bleeding, because in a minute the jailer's going to wash their wounds, um, Paul and Silas, in the middle of the night, they are singing and praying to God. And the prisoners are listening to them and probably wondering, what kind of men are these who are Mm -hmm. singing and praying here in the prison? 
And uh, amazing to think about the effect that may have had on their fellow prisoners. Don't know if they ever got a chance to follow up on those. But, um, you know, in some ways, the letter to the Philippians is that same spirit that Paul has here, where he's in prison, and yet he's still joyful Mm -hmm. and expressing that joy and thanking God. Um, That's kind of one of the hallmarks of the letter to the Philippians is the theme of joy and rejoicing in the Lord always, uh, even though you're suffering, even though bad things are happening. And we see that start right here with them in prison, that Paul's always doing this kind of thing. Like when he's in prison, he's still joyful. And the joy doesn't come from his circumstances. It comes from the Lord. And so it's cool to see that Paul was already giving them an example by how he suffered in prison, even while he's in Philippi. And when he's imprisoned again in Rome, he's still giving them an example of singing in prison, if you will, yeah. uh, while he's writing this joyful letter to them. So yeah. I just think that's a cool connection. Yeah, that's that's right. So let's keep reading. Let's see what happens. Uh, picking up in verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But call, but Paul called out in a loud voice, Don't harm yourself, because we're all here. And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. So this is no normal earthquake. Uh, They're in the middle of the night, they're singing praises to God, and everything starts shaking. And you can tell this is miraculous because all of the prisoners, you know, the the gates are opened, their chains fall off of them. And this is what wakes the jailer up. What's fascinating to me is there's not a jailbreak. I don't know what it was that kept all the prisoners in their cells. I don't know if uh, it was just the shock of all of this happening. Um, But the jailer wakes up, sees the doors open. And he's ready to kill himself. Uh, if, if you remember back in Acts chapter 12, there's actually several parallels between this and what happened to Peter in Acts 12 where he was released from prison. There wasn't an earthquake there, but angel hit him on the side and said, get up, and his chains just fall off, and he walks out, and the guards are asleep. Um, but you remember that those guards, uh, Herod searched, didn't find Peter, and uh, they were put to death in Acts 12 verse That's 19. Right. And so I suspect that this jailer in Philippi, being a Roman, uh, suspected that he would receive better treatment from his own suicide than he would from the Romans and what they would do with him. So he draws his sword, is ready to end his own life because he has failed at the trust that he's been given of his jailers, of his prisoners. Um, and that's when Paul cries out, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And so it was dark that the jailer calls for lights and comes in and he falls down before Paul and Silas. And I mean, how, how amazing it, how the tables have turned here between uh, what usually happens with prisoners. He's now falling down before them. And he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I don't know if the jailer was thinking in more physical terms, like, listen, the Romans are going to have my head for this. Like, what, what do I have to do to be rescued? 
or if he knew and maybe he had heard some of their singing before he fell asleep i don't know uh like hey you guys are from god what do i need to do to be right with god right either way paul takes the opportunity to say here's what you need to do to be right with god um and that would rescue you even if you were executed uh, that's right and it starts with belief in the lord jesus uh you, you have got to believe and trust and know who he is and you and your whole household will be saved that's the power that jesus has to offer but the story does not stop there it tells us that they speak the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. I mean, they don't really know who the Lord Jesus is. There's more that needs to be discussed up until this point about who Jesus is and what he said and what he did and what he went through for us. And within that same hour of the night, he goes and the jailer washes their wounds. And then, of course, he has his entire life washed, mm-hmm. <laughs> washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ in the waters of baptism. And so uh, I just really love that that it's recorded that way. As he washes their wounds, he goes and has his washed in another sense. Yeah, that's right. And again, this is not something we see him delay to do. This is immediate, middle of the night. Uh, as soon as he knows what he needs to do, he does not delay in making his life right with the Lord. It's urgency. That's right. And then he serves some food, um, brings them into his house, set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Um, belief is the fundamental thing that God asks from us to put our trust in Jesus. And baptism is just one part of that. But this section is bookended by saying, they, they said to him, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved. And it ends by saying they rejoiced having believed in God. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful thing. Now, he doesn't actually release any of the prisoners right. here. They all stay in prison, so we're going to see that on the next day. But he does serve them a meal and does, yeah. does some kindness to them. Uh, I don't know if his house may have been attached to the prison there. I'm not sure. But uh, it is interesting to think about this night that changed this man's entire life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I'll point out as we're reflecting on who the church in Philippi is, you've got Lydia's household, and now you have the jailer's household. Uh, these would have been people who were able, like Lydia and like the jailer, to reason through these things and rationally understand who Jesus is and make the choice to put on Christ in baptism. And so um, their, their households here, it's not like there was a, 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 a all-encompassing saving just because Lydia was baptized, but it looks like that there were other members of this household, these households who made these choices as well. Yeah, and we assume that with all the work Paul was doing in Philippi, there would have been other Christians sure, there as well. Absolutely. It's also interesting to think about how very different these people would have been. Uh, I love Lydia and that. the jailer, yeah. and now they're working together with their households in the church there. Um, just really cool to think about and, how the gospel reaches all different kinds of people. And if the Lord wills, when we get into chapter 1, we're going to see that Paul talks about in his imprisonment, he's reaching out to the jailers there. And so just knowing that the church has a jailer is cool to think through. Yeah. So let's read the last little bit here before they leave Philippi, Acts 16, verse 35. Uh, but when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So daylight comes. They're still prisoners. And 
the police, you know, I like to think the dust has settled a little bit, you know, literally after the earthquake. And they're like, hey, just let these guys go. This will be the end of it. And the jailer comes to Paul. He's like, hey, look, they're letting you go. Just walk out of here. Go in peace. And Paul does something we've not seen him do up until this point. He kind of makes a little bit of a, a fuss about it. He makes a stink about it. And on the surface, you wonder, well, why is he doing that? Like, why wouldn't you? If it were me, I would just be like, okay, cool, I'm out of here. But Paul, he makes a point to them. He says, look, th- this was wrong. By the laws of the land, you guys should not have done this. We are Roman citizens, both me and Silas are. You cannot just beat us publicly without a trial. That's not how the laws of this land, of this land work. And when they find this out, they're terrified. I mean, Rome, they take it seriously, obeying their laws and making sure that their colonies are obeying the different laws that they put in place. And so the question is, why would Paul bring this up? Well, I really think it has all to do with kind of the image of what's gone on. Paul and these three other men have come into the city to preach this message of Jesus Christ and the, his, his power and ability to save. And they're getting a little bit of a following and then all of a sudden they are beaten publicly and sent away. What does that kind of leave, uh, what kind of mark does that leave on the church that Paul just began? It kind of leaves a bad stigma, right? Yeah, and the community, just anyone who would have seen these men come to town and the last thing they heard was they got beaten and put in prison. Yeah, and it's and almost never heard of them again. It's almost like, oh yeah, we, we showed them how we deal with people like them. And Paul, I think for the sake of the church and also ultimately the sake of the gospel mm-hmm. here, um, will use his Roman citizenship to make sure that it will not be a barrier to others in the future joining this work. That's right, because he knows that injustice was done here. And so by having them publicly kind of acquit them and say, hey, this was not right, that we should have put these guys in prison. So they come personally, bring them out of the prison. And so publicly people can say, oh, yeah, actually, those guys you saw beaten the other day, I saw the magistrates bring them out, and they like said that was a mistake. So like... They're cool. So it's kind of clearing their name, but by clearing their name, kind of clearing the name of the gospel in the community. And so they're still going to face persecution at different points. But it is interesting to see that uh, Paul does take this step. Again, like you said, I don't think this is a personal thing as much as it is for the sake of the gospel and for the brethren there. So this is where um, we see, again, a, a subtle shift in pronouns. Uh, verse 40, they encouraged them and departed. And then chapter 17, now when they had passed through these areas, somebody le- somebody stayed in Philippi, um, and it's Luke. And it's going to be interesting that the next time we'll see the we passages pick up in Acts, it's going to be in Acts 20 in verse 6, and guess where they pick up Luke? They pick him up from the city of Philippi. Mm-hmm. And it, I don't remember offhand how many years passed between these two passages, roughly, but... Um, Luke apparently just stays there in Philippi. So it's kind of interesting to think about the relationship that Luke would have had uh, to the Christians there. Um, so just kind of interesting to think about that uh, when uh, in Acts 20, verse 6, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread. And so uh, Luke uh, has an extra connection to the, the Christians there in Philippi. Yeah, that is really cool to think through. 
So what do we got now? We got Lydia and her household. We got the jailer and his household. Several others, apparently. Luke is kind of staying behind, I'd imagine, as a role of strengthening the congregation and grounding them, but also teaching new people as yeah. well. Because periodically we'll see Paul leave some of his, uh, you know, uh, helpers behind. Yeah, Timothy to will be left in Ephesus at times and mm-hmm. um, help strengthen them. Yeah, Titus and Crete, and so other places like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the background for the book of Philippians. So we hope this has uh, kind of been helpful as we took a dive into the, the ins and outs of what this church is made of. Lord willing, we're going to get into the text of Philippians next week. We'll take a look at chapter one and we'll pick up there. Yeah. So it's interesting that uh, a couple of other times that uh, Philippi comes up in the New Testament is um, even on this second journey. Um, we're going to see in Second Thessalonians 2, verse 2, they're going to uh, be there at Thessalonica, but they hear about the suffering um, that they had ha- that had happened uh, in Philippi. In Second Thessalonians 2, 2, um, he says, uh, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, that's why that doesn't look right. Um, he says, though he had, we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So it's kind of cool to think about, hey, like, we suffered at Philippi, and that became an example to the Christians in Thessalonica, that they had heard about what had happened when them being shamefully treated and suffering at Philippi. Um, we find out from Philippians 4 that uh, at Thessalonica as well, they were already receiving support. Um, he says in uh, Philippians 4, 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So Paul, Paul's relationship with financial support from Philippi started apparently right there on the second journey. Yep. Um, very soon after uh, they left. And it will lead into the church at Corinth as well. These will be some things we can emphasize as we get into the text of Philippians. But um, in Acts 18 and verse 5, uh, whenever Paul is in Corinth, it tells us that Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia and he's able to devote himself more to the word. And so I think the idea is that uh, Silas and Timothy brought a gift from Philippi in order for Paul to no longer have to be making tents to make ends meet, but now he is living by and through the gospel. Yeah, and Macedonia would have included Philippi and also Thessalonica and Berea. Um, And so it could have been any or all of those groups, but with the reputation for generosity we know from Philippi, it may well have been Philippi uh, that's uh, helping him at Corinth. In fact, one of the ways he'll put this in 2 Corinthians 11, so obviously writing to the Corinthians, is that he robbed other churches on on their behalf and explicitly mentions that it's the church at Macedonia that was supporting him while he was in Corinth. Mm -hmm. And so he puts emphasis on that. And on on the third journey, also written and recorded in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, verses 1 through 3, he, as he is trying to encourage the Corinthians to be good givers, generous givers from the heart, he will use Macedonia as an example and talk about them being generous even out of their own poverty. Mm-hmm. And that it overflowed in a wealth of generosity. And so just some really cool language Paul uses. You can read through all of Second Corinthians 8 and 9 to kind of get the background on that there. So this was a trusted churches, uh, church of Paul's. He really 
relied on them a lot, not only financially, but spiritually. Uh, and that'll be something he emphasizes in the letter. Yeah. So it's really cool to think about all the times that Paul received support from them. And then finally, when he's in Rome, imprisoned there, again, Philippians is kind of a thank you letter to them. Um, they're just the, the good example that these Christians serve across the centuries and the millennia uh, as we look back at them and think about uh, the good relationship that they had with Paul. And so, um, yeah, Lord willing, uh, we'll be getting into the, the letter next time. Yep, so Lord willing, uh, if you'll pick up with us next week, we're going to begin in Philippians 1, verse 3. All right. Thank you all so much for listening to the show today. If you are enjoying what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe. Uh, leave us a rating or a review so we can reach more people. If you'd be interested in studying a book of the Bible or have Bible questions, uh, please contact us, 717-585-0949, or email us at capitalcitychristians at gmail.com. Or for more information about group studies and worship, check us out at capitalcitychristians.com. Thanks so much for listening.